invite you at some point, leaving today or over the next couple of weeks, to find uh, one of the following people and thank them, whether it's Matt or Clay over there running sound or setup or Meredith doing host team or JB um, up here um, who's getting a break today doing worship and they're doing uh, just double time for us for the past several weeks um, in just a complete volunteer capacity. I can't express um, on behalf of all of our elders our appreciation for them doing that. Um, and I pray that you would love on them and kind of acknowledge that today. So as we come back together today, I think the only thing that I really loved about doing two is I could test out a joke real quick at nine. And if Matt didn't laugh at it, I knew I could strike it. Um, now I only have one shot, so we'll see. We're going to be in John 15 as God has kind of, we've been going through John. This is the next passage for us, but it really is perfect timing. Um, like he does, as we kind of start officially our small groups um, this week as a church. So um, some uh, have already been going throughout the summer and already early this fall. Um, some are yet to be formed, uh, hopefully from people that express interest as need comes up. And we look at small groups that we're approaching way differently this year. And you know, we have our formal words in our church culture, like if you go through 101, which is coming up in um, a few weeks, um, and learn about our vision for community and our you know, being together as a church. We have wording for that, but what we've caught ourselves saying a lot as we describe that, like our heart for seeing people know each other as a church, is friends. So we have that conversation about what we're trying to do through all our various groups, and we say we, we want you to have friends. We want you to have real friends at church. Because I think in reality, those of us either have now or in the past have experienced a true friendship, hopefully at, at some point. And I think we know what that feels like. And I think a lot of us hopefully at some point have experienced some kind of group in church that's healthy, that, that we know and see the goodness of. But unfortunately, we rarely merge those two things. That For some reason, there's some compartmentalization that wells up in us that keeps everything in their little separate pockets, and if you've been around us for any amount of time, we're really interested as a church at kind of busting that stuff up and seeing all aspects of our life fit into a giant compartment of Jesus for our whole lives and every aspect of them, school, work, relationships, all the things to fit inside Christ instead of him just being a, a sliver of our life, and it's proved to be messy and difficult, and we have a lot of questions for um, people like us who, when we're by ourselves, we get on our phone longing for people and presence, but when we get around people, we get on our phone to hide from the people we're around, and we're probably rightly a little afraid of people because people are difficult, and we just happen to forget that we're also people, and uh, I hope that we'd remember today that we're all people, and we're all pretty difficult, uh, but in Jesus, we stand in a great friendship potential. I mean, a great Jesus-glorifying potential. And we believe that there's great potential um, in a, a church like Troy Church, a, a family and faith uh, that we could really generate some reality and depth and friendships that'll probably be a little bit messier and a little more disorganized and a little smaller and a little more difficult, but something we think will um, project glory, um, will produce a lot of glory uh, to a Jesus that we think is alive and sets an example for us in this. And, uh, under the banner 
um, bottom line that despite us being pretty rough friend material that Jesus has approached us in friendship as we get to read about today. So I usually like to have points for you and this just didn't fit in points. So there's kind of just one big thing for you and we're going to go through it more so verse by verse. But this bottom line that the friendship of Jesus empowers friendship in the church. The friendship of Jesus empowers friendship in the church. I pray that that in some way, shape, or form would stick um, on our hearts and minds as we go out. Um, like last week, the point of what Jesus says is really given in the passage. Um, we'll go through 17. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So what we read today, hey, pointing our hearts and minds, Jesus with a joyful expectation that we love each other in the friendship that he has loved us in. So I'm going to read and pray. We're in John 15. We're going to pick up in verse 12. So I'm going to read verses 12 through 17, and we're going to pray. So Jesus says in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. God, you've reassured us over the past several weeks that despite our tendency to hate and betray and deny that you have loved us deeply and approached us not just to be a sacrifice for that shortfall in us, but also to empower and instill different. God, show us how to love one another. Show us why you would ask us to do so. And show us how you've empowered us to do so. God, please be here. Help us see you. Help us see Christ. And we ask through him. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in verse kind of 12 and 13. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we were in John 13, 34, and that's when we first saw this commandment. So Jesus says, I got a new commandment for you, that you love one another. And he says this, and part of him saying it is his leaving, his departure. So he tells them, yeah, I'm leaving. I need you to do this. I need you to love one another. And this is going to be a defining characteristic of my church. It's how the world will know that you're mine, that you belong to me. And we see the disciples, if we'll remember, they get real upset and uneasy about the leaving part. So he's like, I'm leaving. And they're like, whoa, where, where are you going? And what are we going to do? And uh, we've been for the past several weeks in a seeming response to that. So I don't think it caught Jesus off guard. A, a providential plan of God in which a detour takes him to passages like John 14, 6, I'm the way and truth, the way, the truth, and the life, but a divine sidetrack, uh, if you will. So today we kind of see him pick back up. So they freaked out about him saying he's leaving, and he's saying, take heart. Like, I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you joy. I want you to relax. You're going with me. I'm going to prepare a place and all those things that we've heard. 
And then him kind of saying, oh, like, where was I? Oh, yeah, I need you really to do this, to love one another. So we see him kind of pick back with this encouragement and exhortation, kind of last marching orders for his church. And with the same pivotal factor from last time, because you know, it's nothing new for them to hear that they're supposed to love one another, but the newness in it being, as I have loved you. For Jesus to say, I want you to love one another, and I want you to do it as I have loved you. And I want us to think about their perspective at this point. He has not died for them yet. That will be news to them, will be a new thing for them. So they don't yet grasp what the sum total of his love for them is. But already what he has shown them makes that statement mean a ton. He has shown them initiation. He's initiated their relationship. We'll talk about that in verse 16 where he says, Y'all didn't choose me. I came after y'all. But also we have seen, especially through these last couple chapters, divine patience. A ton of gentle patience from Jesus towards these men in the face of them being very hard-headed, very prideful, very slow to absorb the kingdom that's on display in front of their face. And he says, I want you to love as I've loved you in view of this patience, in view of this kindness. So then we read verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's told them over and over that he is going to die, that he has come to die, but they continually do not grasp that. I think a lot of that is them not wanting to grasp that. We see them push away when Jesus brings this up, and they demonstrate that, kind of pushing back from him, saying that a ton. But he's alluding again to him having to do that, even in a way of him making a general statement about love. So him kind of you know, maybe tongue-in-cheek being like, you know what really epitomizes love is when somebody lays down their life for another, when somebody sacrifices for another, and they're about to see that happen. And Jesus is about to call them to love like that. Love as I have loved you. And he calls us to do the same. So as we think through that, it's very important that we clarify some things about that. He's calling them not to what he does exactly, but to love as he loves. And it's a very important distinction that I want us to sit in for a minute. Uh, the, the desiring God folks do these little labs on deep passages like this. They get it on a, a chalkboard and kind of draw lines and errors. It's a really great resource. Um, look at the book. It's called From Desiring God. But they look at this passage in a way of the friendship of Christ being what they call asymmetrical. So I want to explain that. You know, we have human friendships and relationships that are symmetrical, and we have some that are asymmetrical. I'll give you an example in the context of the same relationship. Dr. Law is my good friend. I can go sit on one of our elders. I can go sit on his porch and vent to him. He can come sit on mine and vent to me. And in that way, we have a symmetrical relationship. In terms of our friendship and him being a doctor, sometimes he bends me over a table and gives me an antibiotic shot in the hip. I do not in turn ask him to turn around so I can do that to him. It's an asymmetrical aspect to our relationship that I don't return. I, I simply receive that because I'm not qualified to give, to give a shot like that. So we don't lay down our life for Jesus. Jesus doesn't need us to do that. And even in a really great display of human sacrifice for another human, we might save somebody's temporal life, but we can't cleanse them for, from sin by laying down our life for them as Jesus does. So we can't love an exact action like Jesus, but Jesus does call us to do so in attitude. 
and attitude. And we say we get that, but I question if we really do because I think it's the heart of us approaching this wrong in our failure to love one another well. I think our mistake so many times in our heart and mind is to say, I'm going to love people like Jesus. We muster that up as Christians, knowing that we're supposed to do that. And in our head, we identify more with Jesus than the non-Jesus humans that he's called us to love. And we find ourselves trying to impersonate instead of imitate Christ. We talked about that last week. One is the, the, the context of the fall, and the other is the context of our purpose as humans. What that looks like is us in our minds being like, I'm going to love like Jesus. I'm going to love this poor, annoying, dirty, sinful, unpopular person. And as we do, we're supposing that we're the opposite. As we generate that attitude, it's very difficult to do without, I'm going to love this poor, much poorer than me. I'm going to love this annoying person that's more annoying than me. I'm going to love this more dirty, more sinful, more unpopular than me person. And that attitude leading to either pride if we actually think we are that person and really doing that, or despair if we, by bad motive, actually try it and find out that we can't, that we run out of gas because we as people are so difficult to love. The same gospel that saves us from both of those hard attitudes also shows us. I want to take us to same author, different book, uh, 1 John chapter 4. We've uh, looked at 1 John already a little bit in this. Seeing the same guy probably elaborate on these very words that he heard in person. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A pause right there, propitiation meaning Jesus absorbed God's wrath against sin for us. So sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. But if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Skip down to verse 19. We love because he first loves us. When we are mutually dependent and together remember the love we've experienced from Jesus. John here saying, if you've experienced this love together, God loving you first in spite of yourself, it will generate love and grace for one another in view of of what you've experienced and feeling an identity of what you've experienced. You look at someone that is not perfect and hard to love, and you're like, gosh, I am also hard to love. I think we could really get along. I think we could really love one another. The friendship of Jesus empowers friendship in the church. The love of Jesus empowers love in the church. And before we move on, I want to talk about what that looks like just a little bit more and just kind of that theme, a couple examples One's kind of out of our context, and one is directly in it. First is Ephesians 5.25. It's our favorite go-to wedding passage or marital counseling passage. We see Paul talks to, talk to husbands, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her by the washing of the water of the word, to present her without spot or blemish, perfect and holy. We aren't Jesus, husbands, any husbands in the room. We can't save or sanctify our wives. We imitate the sacrifice of Jesus. 
in the service of Jesus by daily laying down our life for our wives. We position our wives in the presence of the only one who can clean and save us both. We love as Christ loved and gave himself up for. John 13, John 15, love as I have loved you. I want to look at one more, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Flip to this one. Or I'll read it from Matt's little board. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. We are not God incarnate. We don't empty ourselves of anything. We're empty out the gate. We come that way. And Jesus has died to give life to our emptiness, and in it he is conforming us to verse 5, to have this mind, yours in Jesus. Approach each other as Jesus has approached his church. Love one another as I have loved you, sacrificially thinking of others' well-being and ours less. We're able to love like him because of his love for us. The one who is deserved to be too proud to call us a friend, who would be right and just to be like, I ain't being friends with them, has not been. We've received his friendship. And I can think and act and love and act like him towards others that I share desperation for him with because I've received the love and friendship of Jesus in my poverty of love and friendship. The friendship of Jesus empowers friendship in the church. The love of Jesus empowers love in the church. Let's look at uh, 14 through 15. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. Verse 14, we've seen that statement or a verse like it a ton in these past couple of chapters not earning. It's not, hey, go do everything I've told you to do, and then you can be my friend. It is not that, as we've looked at in the past few verses that have kind of had this philosophy. Jesus has loved us. He's laid down his life for us, making us friends. In his friendship towards us, obedience is produced as a result. It'll be a result of us receiving friendship through the laying down of Christ's life for a church. You've been sacrificed for as a friend. Obedience is going to naturally come out of you now. And we're going to leave that at that because we spent a lot of time looking at those phrases. But please hear me, first time guest or long time member, if that is not clicking or is still a rub, please talk to us because that is really important. If you are trying to approach Jesus by being good enough and checking the box, it is going to be long and slow and painful. Please talk to us about this. It's a big deal. But moving on to verse 15, I think one of the worst feelings in the world, like in our working life, is to be doing something and not knowing the reason for doing it. Um, I got to work on a farm in high school in Pell City, where I'm from, and some of this is probably me being a 14-year-old kid at the time, but it seemed like a lot of the time I was like taken out in the middle of this big field and told to like dig a hole, and I had no idea why. So I'd be digging my hole or ditch and not, not having a clue about what I was doing, and it was difficult to get into that. 
like to be about doing something that I didn't know the background reason from. And Jesus, in a very powerful, huge way that should just blow our mind, is saying that your walk with me is not going to be like that. Your following God and being a part of his family is not going to be like that. You're not just a servant that I go tell to do stuff. I'm letting you in the back room. I'm, I'm telling you why. I'm telling you the plan. You're going to have the heart of, of me and my father. And you're going to be in on our family and walk with us in unity. We look back at the Old Covenant, we see Moses enjoy a, a pretty close relationship with God and then him kind of take the list to the people and there'd be this divide perhaps with the reasoning and it, it not turn out well. And Jesus saying, now all that I have heard from the Father, think about that, Jesus, God incarnate, saying, all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. That's a huge statement. And in it, Jesus saying, I have no interest in a band of robots or even soldiers or servants. I want some friends. Or, or more so even, as he will draw this out, I want a family. We're going to be family. And he tells us why. First John from above, and First John talks about love a lot, but John and First John saying love because it's the epitome of you being made right with God. It's the best expression to display what God has done in you despite who you are and saying you won't fully understand that until you reciprocate it and you cannot properly bear the image of the God that has saved you without showing the kind of love that he has loved you with and also all the side perks by the way perfect love casts out fear love brings peace love is better than what we naturally do in our heart and mind love because of this it's not just an empty command Jesus brings us behind the scenes shows us the heart of the Father. We wouldn't even know love without Jesus letting us into this space. The openness of Jesus has saved us. He shared his identity. He's opened our eyes to our need and opened our eyes to his work to meet our need. We have no news to share with Jesus. This is another place where this isn't um, symmetrical. We don't have any, any new news to tell him that he'd be like, oh, cool, where'd you hear that? He's all-knowing, he's God. We don't reciprocate that, but because of the great truth of what he shares with us, we are in a loving relationship with him, and we can, from that, share our lives with one another. I think it's what Paul talks about, 1 Thessalonians 2, where he says, we don't only share the gospel, we share our lives, and we have the tendency in our hyper-individualistic culture to share so much less. Jesus exemplifies more, and he gives us more. The friendship of Jesus empowers friendship in the church. The love of Jesus empowers love in the church. The openness of Jesus empowers openness in the church. Jesus has let us in. He's called us friends. Last thing we're going to look at, verse 16. This is a really cool sermon in itself. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. Jesus knows better at this point, after he's walked with these guys for three years. If you'll remember any conversation he has with these guys about the kingdom, or about him knowing them, or about him being friends with them, we can almost bank on one of these dudes asking, well, Jesus, who's your best friend? 
Which, which one of us is your best friend? Rank us in order of who's the best friend. Pride, really quick, to come out of these guys as he tells them true things about their identity. And he, he gets ahead of that this, in, in this conversation. He deals a blow to our number one enemy, perhaps, of real friendships, pride. He says, you didn't choose me. I'll have you remember. I chose you. We'll see Paul in Romans 3 quote Psalm 14, just saying that none of us wanted God. None of us sought after God in and of ourselves. God initiated and furthered our relationship in him. John says it himself in John 1, 12 through 13. But all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of blood. So you weren't born into it. It wasn't a heritage family thing. Nor the will of the flesh. So friendship not based on our merit or being good friends, but of God. So born of God. He, so he's approached you, he's approached us in friendship from his desirability, not ours. And Jesus makes sure that these men hear that before they get prideful, before we get prideful. So after this, he gives them a reason. Again, lets them in on the reason that we should go and bear fruit. And we've talked about, as Jesus has said, yeah, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Bear fruit, abide in me and bear much fruit. How that is a showing God to ourselves and to everybody around us, a showing the character and nature of God. And we also see fruit mean something else in the Gospels. How about Matthew, where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pretty sure in this context, he's talking about our potential to be used by God to impact one another, to impact people's lives. He says that you may bear fruit and that your fruit may abide. And he just got done calling Christians to abide in him, to stay in him. And then him saying, anything you need, ask the Father. And this time he's saying, ask the Father. He's bringing us into this relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we are hidden in Christ. Him saying, I'll give you whatever you need for this command to, um, to work out this command in your life in a way that makes much of me. So kind of putting all this stuff together, bottom line, I have friended you when you're unfriendly, when you were dead, that you may be able to love in a way that points people to me and helps people grow in me, in a way that further forms people in me. Jesus saying, yes, I'm going to use my work in your life to bring about my work in other people's lives through your love and through your relationships. As you love other people, I'm going to further call people into me. I'm going to further form people into me. I'm going to use you, a human, to do my work and other humans. And it's not just going to be superficial work. It's going to be lasting work. It's going to be fruit that abides, that remains, that stays. And anything you need to do it, I'm going to give it to you. You have direct access to the Father in me. You ask him for the capacities to love well in my name, and I'll do it. And 17, rallying it, tying it together. Y'all go do this. Love. You have all that you need to love. Do this. You'll be known as my people as you do this. Before we pray, I want to leave us with four things in this Sunday that's kind of pointing us towards doing something, uh, towards groups, um, at least being curious about what groups might look like or being a part of further relationships beyond this big moment where we can only do so much and only talk so much and only know so much about one another. So first thing, 
I pray that you would consider groups here, small groups, D groups, all the different kind of groups. You're going to get more specifics on how to do that and what that means in a little bit, but that you would consider relationship context beyond this space in Troy Church. Two, that you might consider talking with us about integrating Christ into circles that you already have. Us acknowledging that some of you already have a really tight group of folks. Y'all barbecue, y'all hang out, y'all do this, y'all do that. And the concept of bringing Christ into that seems awkward. And I get that. What would it look like to have a conversation about integrating Christ into deeply formed relationships I already have, already other circles that I'm walking in of friends, and we just need to let Jesus in that compartment. We need to flood that compartment with Christ. Consider talking to us about what that might look like. Three, more personal, more painful. Consider someone in your day-to-day that you withhold love from. Consider someone in your day-to-day that you withhold from, from that first point, our Messiah complex, to be like, I'm great, they're not. I'm going to muster up some love to them and check that box and feel great about myself. Instead, to identify with them in our mutual spiritual poverty and poverty of relationships, our tendency to be very broken all over each other into love out of our common desperation for Jesus. Last thing is just to take initiative to take initiative toward friendships in the church. That looks like us saying, hey, I've been going to church here and seeing you for three years walking this space. I don't know your name. I'm so-and-so. I've seen you. I've heard about you, but I don't really know you. Let's go lunch, coffee, to take initiative as God in Christ has initiated with us. I'm going to pray and trust God to help whatever out of all these things, deep things about the kingdom he tells us to stick.